wide-eyed to stories about her cousin Heine in Budapest. Heine was a year older than Ruth. His mother, Leonie's stepsister, had married a Hungarian journalist called Radek, and they lived in a villa above the Danube. When he was three, Heine climbed onto his father's piano stool. It was like coming home, he was to say afterwards. At the age of six, he gave his first recital. Two years later, a professor at the academy invited Bartok to hear him play, and the great man nodded. When Heine was eleven, his mother died. As his father was always working, it was decided that Heine should continue his studies in Vienna. He would lodge with his piano teacher, but his spare time would be spent with the burghers. Ruth never forgot the first time she saw him. She had come in from school and was hanging up her satchel when she heard the music. Drawn by it, she opened the study door. The boy had black curls and large grey eyes, and when he saw her, he smiled. Hello. She smiled too. It's Mozart, isn't it? Yes, the adagio in B minor. I mustn't disturb you, she said. He shook his head. I don't mind you being here, if you're quiet. When he'd finished, he told her about Mozart's starling. He kept it in a cage in the room where he worked, and he didn't mind it singing. In fact, he used its song in the finale of the G major piano concerto. Did you know that? No, I didn't. You can be my starling, Heine said. She nodded. I'd like that. From then on, whenever she could, she settled quietly in the room where he practised, sometimes with her homework or a book, mostly just listening. She turned the pages for him when he played from a score. That summer, preceded by a hired piano, Heine joined the burghers on the Gundelsee. And that summer, too, the summer of 1930, a young Englishman named Quinton Somerville came to work with the professor. Quinn was twenty-three years old at the time of his visit, but he spoke fluent German and had a formidable reputation for so young a man. While still at Cambridge, Quinn had managed to get himself onto an expedition to the giant reptile beds of Tenduguru in Tanganyika. The following year he travelled to the Cape, where the skull of Australopithecus africanus was found in a lime quarry. Quinn's doctoral thesis on the mammalian bone accumulations of the Aldervai Gorge was both erudite and sober. Professor Berger met him at a conference and invited him to Vienna to give the annual lecture to the Paleontological Society. Quinn came. It had been his intention to book into a hotel, but the professor wouldn't hear of it. You must stay with us, he said. Quinn's mother died when he was born. His father, attached to the embassy in Switzerland, volunteered in 1916 and was killed on the Somme. So Quinn was sent back to the family home in Northumberland. Quinn found himself in a house where everyone was old. An irascible, domineering grandfather, the terrifying Basher Somerville, presided over Quinn's first years at Beaumont, and the spinster aunt who came to take over after his death hardly seemed younger. But if there was no one to show the orphaned boy affection, he was given something else he knew how to value, his freedom. He furnished for himself a secret 
and entirely satisfactory world with an invisible playmate, a brontosaurus called Harry. Conan Doyle's The Lost World plunged him deep into the fabled world of prehistory. From the dinosaurs, the boy went backwards and forwards in time, learning of the geological layers of the earth, of lobe-finned fishes and the mammals of the Pleistocene. By the time he was eleven, he was scrambling down cliffs and quarries, searching for fossils. Quinn's home looked out over the North Sea, whose rock pools were his nursery, the creatures inside them more interesting than any toy. At Cambridge, Quinn got a first in natural history, but he was reluctant to accept a permanent academic post. Financially independent since his 18th birthday, he had managed to spend the greater part of his time on expeditions. Quinn's lecture in Vienna was a success, and when the university term ended soon...